You know, it was a week of plots and agendas. Began really well. The one that they thought was going to be the Messiah finally gets proclaimed to be the Messiah. In fact, he rides into town on a colt and they're waving palm branches, waving in his honor on a Monday. By the end of that week, boy, things had really changed. In fact, the disciples gathered with him in the upper room, and while they were there in that upper room, he began to talk about betrayal. He began to talk about brokenness and blood and how his blood was going to be shed for them, and they didn't know what to think about it. They left the upper room. They went to the garden. They watched him weep. They watched him pray. They watched him sweat, drops of blood, and then the unthinkable happened at the end of that time, the one that they knew, Judas, showed up with a Roman Calvary and they, Judas came up and he kissed him on the cheek because that was the one that they were to arrest and Judas had betrayed him. So you got to think, these 11, they had, these 12 really at that point had traveled together nonstop for three years and now here they are on the cusp of everything changing. Jesus is arrested. We know that that night the plot turns into agendas and and that night they had some pretty crazy junk that happened. And by the end of the evening, Jesus was sentenced. He went from Pilate to Herod, back to Pilate. You got Caesar's name getting thrown in. All we know is at the end of the night, they had an opportunity to get out of it because they could release a proven criminal or they could crucify one that everybody really did think was innocent. All, all the Jews and the Romans could agree on was something had to happen with Jesus. And all this got expedited because Passover was happening on that Friday evening and all this had to happen. That's why the trial should have never happened, but they did. We know that the crowd chose Barabbas, which meant that Jesus was gonna be crucified. And we know that Jesus was beaten within inches of his life. They throw a big wooden beam on him. They make him walk up the mountain, you know, the, the trail that a criminal would walk up to, this, up to the skull, Golgotha, uh, Calvary, we call it, up to this mountain. And they know, we know that somewhere along the way that a gentleman named Simon the Cyrene helped carry that cross up for him because he didn't have the strength to do it. And we know that he was put up there on that Friday, on that cross, and for six hours that Friday, time stood still. Because all throughout this plot and the, the, the thickening of the agenda that was going on during his trials, Jesus really didn't say anything. He just took it. And the disciples didn't understand it. Now he is on a middle cross with a criminal on his left and a criminal on his right. And he chooses to utter some final words here on earth. Those words were huge to these two, and they're huge to us. I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 23 is where we're going to camp out this morning. We're going to start reading in verse 39, Luke 23, verse 39. If you've got your app, uh, all the notes there in your app, if you go to the North Star Church, Georgia, uh, in the app store, you can download that and go right to it. Or if you've got your Bibles, if not, we'll have it on the screens. And you got a little worship guide on the way in Luke 
chapter 23. We're going to start reading verse 39. I want to give everybody a chance to get there. Would you stand with me today as we read God's word together? Crazy week. In fact, at this point, we know John was there, the disciple. We don't know whether the disciples were even there on this night to watch or on this day to watch what was going on. The gentleman on his left and right, criminal A, criminal B, are dying for crimes they had committed, whatever they may have been. We don't have the rap sheet. We don't have the story, but we know that they had been judged to be accountable for what they had done, and crucifixion was the judgment. In the middle was somebody who had done nothing wrong. And there's a conversation that happens between these three. Thankfully, the conversation was captured. Luke chapter 23, we'll start reading in verse 39. If at any point I'm saying something, you don't read it, look up, because I'm jabbering. All right, here we go, verse 39. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you are the Messiah, are you? So criminal A over here looks at Jesus and he said, so nice job, Messiah. You've done really well. You're hanging up here just like I'm hanging up here. So you're the Messiah, are you? So if you're really him, criminal A says, prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. I'm going to pause there because this is a big piece of the story. This guy, this criminal, wanted his release now. So Jesus, if you are who you say you are, you will get us out of this predicament so we can go eat dinner with our family tonight. That's what he was saying. I just want out. Jesus, I don't want to be involved in this. I want you, if you are the Messiah, get us out of here. That was criminal A. Sort of a one-way conversation because he was saying, Jesus, I want you to prove it. I want you to, to do it. I don't want to have to believe it. I don't want to have to trust it. I want you to prove it. Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal, it's a pretty, pretty intense story. The other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? So this guy leans over to this guy over here and said, really? I mean, you're going to say this now? You are dying for sins you've committed and crimes you've committed. You're really going to say that to him? Look at what he says. We, what's the next word? We're getting it. We deserve to die for our crimes. But this guy, he has done nothing wrong, which makes you wonder, how did he know that? Well, I mean, you got to think that area is not a big area. Jesus' ministry was, it all happened in a very small region around Jerusalem and Nazareth and, and um, that little Sea of Capernaum and all the little territory right through there. When miracles happen, word travels fast. And evidently this guy knew of who he was in jailhouse talk, probably knew that this guy had been set up. This man hasn't done anything wrong. Then this guy, criminal B., looks at Jesus, look at what he said. Jesus, would you remember me 
when you come into your kingdom? Criminal A, hey Jesus, if you're really the Messiah, save, save yourself and save us. Criminal B says, Jesus, today when you enter into your kingdom, will you remember me? This guy understood there was nothing he could do to save himself. He needed help. He issues a pretty broad statement. Hey, Jesus, when you get there, will you just hopefully remember who I am? And Jesus takes almost a corporate word and makes it incredibly personal because look at what he says next. And Jesus replied, I, what's the next word? Let's do it again. I what? Be confident, know it's a fact. I assure you, today, you will be with me in paradise. And what he said to him has huge ramifications for you and me. Would you pray with me? Right where you're standing this morning, Compass True North, Maybe you're tuning in online while you're driving. Would you ask the Lord to make these words real to you? Would you? God, what was said 2,000 years ago reverberates through history. Because this conversation gets had every Sunday, sitting in chairs and every weekday sitting in cars. God, who are you? And if you're really who you said you are, will you show me? God, you chose to leave this in your word because I think you know we need it today desperately. So God, speak to us, teach us, show us, and move us to the place that you have chosen us to be. And Father, I pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So for those of you I have never met before, my name is Mike. It's a, it's a joy to be back with you. Casey did a great job last week. In fact, so many of you have told me what a great job he did. You don't get to hear him anymore, all right? And so that's the way it, that's the way it works. But anyways, uh, really glad you're here. This is gonna be a fun study. So right at the top of your outline, I want you to write down two words, ready? First word I want you to write down. So you can thumb it in your, in your, in your notes there on the phone or write it in the outline. I want you to write the word justice. Would you write the word justice? And then on the other side, I want you to write the word grace, or you could put slash mercy. We'll be interchangeable. So we have justice, right? And we have grace. Justice, let's define it so we're all on the same page. All right, this is from the Mike Lynch Definition School. All right, so I want you to write this down. Justice is getting what I deserve, right? I mean, isn't that what justice is? It's when I get what I deserve. I've done something, I get punished, I deserved it. The punishment was equal to the crime. Justice. That you have received justice. That's what justice is. So when I was growing up, uh, I went to the family I grew up in uh, down in Fayetteville. 
going to church was never an option. They never asked me if I wanted to. They never asked me if I had, I used to say it like this. I had a drug problem. I was drugged on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, right? And so uh, we went to church all the time and my parents believed the Bible. I mean, they believed the Bible to be God's word. And there was one verse in the Bible they really loved. And the verse was this, spare the rod, spoil the child. Do y'all know that verse? All right. So they believed that verse. They, they, they believed when you got in trouble, you received punishment. And I remember there were times, because I had an older brother and sister that would antagonize me, and I would get in trouble for something I didn't do. How many of y'all ever got in trouble for something you didn't do, right? And I remember pleading my case to my mom. Mom, I didn't do it, and you just spanked me, or you grounded me. And her response was, well, if you didn't do this, that's for something you did I don't know about, all right? And so that was the way, so I handled it. So justice, right? Grace. Grace is when I deserve it, but I don't get it. Right? Isn't that grace? Mercy? I deserve punishment, but I, I don't get it. Yes or no question. Did the criminal on the cross deserve to be punished? Yes or no? Yes. All right? Grace says punishment is being deferred or deterred, not against you. So a few years ago, maybe this, maybe this will help you. Somewhere in Cobb County, uh, I was driving and I had just celebrated my birthday. And it's funny, so I'm getting to the age now, I don't really like my birthdays that much. But anyway, so this was that age, I was still excited to have my birthday, had my birthday, and the month got away from me. And you know, you got a little sticker that's on your tag that's supposed to be updated to your birthday month. Well, I hadn't done that, and it was March now, and my birthday's in February, and I'm driving down the road here in Cobb County, and I see blue lights. Not cool, all right? And so I see blue lights. I pull over. I'm like, well, I don't think I was speeding. I don't think I went across the median. I don't know what I did. And the officer walks up to my window, and the officer said, are you aware that your tag is expired? I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, and you remember Adam threw Eve under the bus? I'm like, you know, normally my wife orders them and I, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Throw Anna under the bus, it didn't work. And so I remember, and, and what was funny about it was the tag office literally was a half mile away. Literally. And I said this, because I'm going to plead my case. I said, is there any chance you could let me off and I'll drive over and get the tag right now. You could follow me. I'll go directly from point A, get out of jail free, point A to point B, and I will, I will, I will get my tag. And this was the response, all right? The response was, I could, but I choose not to, all right? And so, <laughs> justice, yes or no? The ticket that I got, did I deserve it? Yes. No, Ann deserved it. I got it, but Ann, <laughs> Ann deserved it. All right, so, justice, mercy. What happened on that cross, you watch these things happening. Justice is deserved. Grace and mercy is given. Four things. Ready? Point one. The dying guy, criminal B, understood this. I will face God's judgment after death. He got it. He understood he was paying earthly crimes but he also understood that one day he was going to face God's judgment. Do you know that every man and woman who's ever graced the planet of earth, 
they will all face God's judgment one day, all of us. No matter how rich, how poor, how tall, how short, what part of the world they're from, we'll all face it. This guy understood that because look at what he said. Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? What basically what he was saying was, your time is limited, bro. Why are you acting like this? You are gonna be held accountable before the Lord for how you've lived your life. And so will we. When we could spend a month talking about how all this works, if you don't know Christ, there's a judgment that's different than the judgment for a believer. But, but we will all stand before the Lord one day and give an account of our lives. Criminal B got it. He said, don't you understand you have been sentenced to die and your time is running short. They couldn't have these guys hanging up there during the Passover. Look at what Hebrews says. And just as each person is destined to die once, after that comes the judgment. And this guy and this guy, it was imminent. It wasn't like, well, one day and maybe when I'm 70. It's like hours at this point. Point number two, I deserve death and separation from God because of my sin. I deserve death and separation from God because of my sin. Yes or no question, all right? Criminal A, criminal B. Did they deserve to be punished for the crimes they committed? Yes or no? Yes. So do we deserve to be punished for the crimes we've committed? Well, Mike, what's the crime I've committed? I want you to write down three letters, and we'll, we'll see if we can make them make sense. You write down the word sin. And I want, in the middle of sin, I want you to circle the letter I. I is always the problem with sin. <clears throat> the, the fact is we're born with a sin nature. So therefore, from the day we're conceived and we're born into this world, we are born separated from God. But then as we live out life, more sin enters the picture and we don't do right and we drive around with an old tag and then we lie to people and I blame it on, a, you know, y'all know how this thing works. So we commit, we commit more. That's what happens. And because of sin, sin disrupts my relationship with God because it puts enmity, it puts distance between me and God. Somebody's got to be punished for my sin. I don't just get to go to heaven scot-free. Something's got to happen. Look at the way Romans says it's for the wages of sin is death. That's the price. That's the punishment. And death means, I want you to write out beside the word death, separation. That's really what it means. That you're separated from God, but it's not a, a one-time deal. It's a it's a deal, right? It's not something I can go back on later. It's the deal. And I want you to write down this under number two, and I'm gonna move on. Somebody's gotta pay for my sin. Somebody's got to. So back during this time, it was customary that a, a Jewish family would offer a spotless, sinless lamb to be sacrificed to cover their sins. 
And that blood would be used as a covering to cover their sins. The problem with it was it had to be done on a repeated basis because people kept on sinning. What happened that day, this guy somehow figured it out. Jesus wasn't dying for what he did. This is what the guy got. Everybody look at me. Jesus was dying not for what he did, but for what they did. And he was being punished for their sin. How he figured that out, I don't know. But, but he did, but here's the deal. Equal distance between the two guys. Both have options and opportunities. One seized it, one missed it. Somebody's got to pay for my stuff. Somebody's got to pay for my shortcomings. Max Lucado, he said it like this. We're guilty, he's innocent. We are filthy, he is pure. We are wrong, he is right. He is not on that cross for his sins. He is there for ours. Point number three, Jesus is more than a man. He is the sinless son of God. See, only someone sinless could pay for your sin. That's the only way they could do it. Jesus was 100% man. He was 100% God. And he lived a sinless life. Look at, look at the way criminal B said it. This man, he's not done anything wrong. He didn't deserve to be here. 2 Corinthians 5, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for, what's the next word? He made Christ, who knew no sin, to be the offering for our sin, for my sin, for your sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So, so we could say it this way. Everybody look at me. God wanted a relationship with you so bad, he was willing for his son to die for something he didn't do so he could be with you forever. Come on now. Amen. Just think about that. Oh, Mike, I've been in church a while. I know the story. No, 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 no. You do, do you really know the story? You got off scot-free. You're Barabbas. I'm Barabbas. He's being punished for my sins, not for his. See, criminal B got something that we've got to get somewhere on this side of eternity. Who is Jesus to me? We got to get it. And listen, y'all know, I, I'm all about you leaving church going, man, that was fun, and that was exciting, and that was uplifting. But if that's all you get out of it, that ain't going to help you. He did what he did because he wanted to and he did it for you and for me. Point number four. <clears throat> My only hope is to receive the free gift of God through faith in Jesus. This cat had no other way. This guy 
had nothing else he could hold on to. Steve, would you grab my water right in there? <clears throat> Thank you, bud. He had nothing else to hold on to. He knew, I'm getting what I deserve. I love what he said. Jesus, would you remember me when you go into your kingdom? Life's about to end here in just a second. They could feel the blood rushing out of their bodies. Basically, when, when you were on the cross, you asphyxiated yourself. You just couldn't breathe anymore. Your lungs, the way they hung you with the nails and your feet and your hands, you would have to get up on that nail to try to breathe. He knew it wasn't long. And he looked at Jesus and he said, Today, Jesus, would you remember me in paradise? I wonder what went through his soul when Jesus said, get this, get this. I assure you, today you'll be with me. So let's, 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 let's take the curtains. Just in a few minutes, I've got a, a funeral service this afternoon. We're going to peel back the curtains on where this incredible man is that we're going to celebrate today. Let's peel back the curtains for a second and peek in heaven. Jesus has been around since, since. He's not a created being. He's always been. I bet heaven was a, a flurry when he left to become a baby in Bethlehem. And they had intently watched his life for 33 years. Now they see him dying and they know soon he's going to be home again where he rightfully belongs in heaven. And they're getting it straightened up. Getting things in order. What they didn't know, get this, was that heaven, he was about to stride on with his feet, he was going to have a buddy with him who he had just met, who figured out who Jesus was in the final out of the inning. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Mike, why are we hitting this today? Because I'm accountable for you. One day when I get to heaven, I'm going to be judged on how I led you and how I loved you. I wouldn't be much of a friend if I didn't tell you the final part of the story. I remember uh, Ann and I were young. She was pregnant with Casey. Casey's about to turn 26, so it's been that long ago. And, you know, we, were, we met in college, we got married, and now she's pregnant, and it's Friday night, and we do what every crazy married couple do when somebody's pregnant on a Friday night. We were watching 2020 eating Domino's, all right? And so we're at my house in Woodstock eating Domino's pizza, and we're watching John Stossel on 2020. It's an old, old guy, great, great, great guy. Anyways, so they're telling a story. And we're riveted because Ann's pregnant. So anything about pregnancy, we're, we're just sort of soaking it up and figuring it out. And the story was this, crazy story. 
the story was this. There was a lady who had a baby inside her, and this baby had a tumor on its lung. And this baby was not going to survive in her womb with that tumor. And the only way they could figure out how to save the baby was a radical surgery. So you got to think this is Casey was born in 94. We're 93, 94 time frame. Some of y'all weren't even born yet. 93, 94 time frame. They're going to do this radical surgery. And here's the surgery they're going to do. They're going to take this lady. They're going to open her up. They're going to take that baby out of the mama, open the baby up, remove the tumor, sew the baby up, put the baby back in the mama, sew her up, and hope and pray she makes it. We are glued to the TV. Now, I wasn't eating pizza anymore, but anyways, so we'd set this pizza aside. They did it. They did the surgery. It was the craziest thing. And the lady was able to carry the baby long enough for him to be born and put in NICU and finally get out of the hospital. And now they're picking up the story two years later. And there's a scene. I'll never forget it. It's a mom, mom, dad, and little two-year-old in between holding their hands, walking up the sidewalk towards the hospital. And they did what they call a voiceover, right? It's the lady John Stossel's interviewing her, but they're not showing their faces. And John Stossel said, why is it such a big deal you take your boy back to the hospital? And here was her phrase. Listen. She said, I want to put my little boy's hand into the hand of the man that saved his life. Today, I would love to do something for you. I would love to take your hand and put it into the hand of the man that saved your life. Would y'all pray with me? Father, I believe heaven sits on the edge of their seat this morning. Somebody's going to find their way home today that didn't know at 9 a.m. this morning. If you're in one of our rooms, Compass or True North, you're watching online today, and you say, Mike, it's never been my story. It's been my grandparents, it's been my aunt and uncles, it's been my mom and dad's, it's been my wife's, it's been my child's, but it's never been my story. Mike, I have never met Jesus, but I want to today. Could I lead you in a prayer to meet him? Could I? It goes like this, dear Lord Jesus, I need you. Would you pray that? Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. I believe you lived for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again just for me. Come into my heart. Would you pray that? Lord Jesus, I'm lost without you. If today you prayed that prayer, it's because of grace. Didn't deserve it. It's really not yours. You get it because he loved you. Father, thank you for putting our sinless, stained, nasty hands 
into the hand of perfection. So we, one day, could spend eternity with you. God, may we never get over that grace you gave us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.